0: Psalm 45 again this evening. Psalm 45. I think this will be the last time that we will examine this Psalm, as far as me, trying to share some thoughts from it, so uh, because of that, I think we will we'll read the whole psalm here this evening. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon thy lips. Therefore, God has blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword on thy thigh, O mighty one, in thy splendor and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let thy right hand teach thee awesome things. Thine arrows are sharp, the peoples fall under thee, thine arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. All thy garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia, Out of the ivory palaces stringed instruments have made thee glad. King's daughters are among thy noble ladies. At thy right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. Because he is your lord, bow down to him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift, the rich among the people. Will entreat your favor. <clears throat> the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to thee. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In the place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth I will cause thy name to be remembered in all generations therefore the peoples will give thee thanks forever and ever let's pray once again here Father we pray that you would take your word and apply it to each of our lives tonight we ask for help from heaven and stirrings in our hearts as we listen to your word and seek to apply these verses to our lives. I pray that you would help me to speak and all of us to hear we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm, as we have said in the past, is a song of love. It concerns the marriage of the king. It's addressed to the king, and it's celebrating his marriage. Tonight, what we're looking at is a picture of a royal wedding, but not just any royal wedding? This is a royal wedding of eternity. Now we said that this applies to Christ, and that we established that for certain because of verses six and seven uh, which are quoted. In the New Testament, these are the verses that we looked at last time, quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, as referring to Christ. Just a little bit of review here. We know that this is no mere man, no earthly king, because verse 6 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So, we're talking about uh, God himself here in the person of Christ. This is no temporal throne because it lasts forever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. No king has a throne like that. Uh, No earthly king, that is. And we saw that there's no mixture in this king's life of good and evil. There always is in kings and queens on this earth. Um, A few years ago, some of us are old enough to remember the Wedding, the great to-do that was made about the, the wedding of Charles and Diana. Well, what's happened to that? Well, there's a lot of mixture of evil in the midst of all that uh, ceremony there. But this, this, this king's not like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's totally good. The scepter of rup- uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This king loves righteousness and hates iniquity. So again, all these things point to some ruler far beyond any one in this earthly realm. Um, verse uh, 7, the last part of the verse there, I think really is a verse that you can see the Trinity in uh, with some spiritual eyes anyway. Uh, Therefore God, thy God hath anointed thee. So here you have, God the Father anointing God the Son with the oil of joy above thy fellows. I think that oil of joy is the Holy Spirit. So you can even see the Trinity in, in a verse like that. Again, I'm not saying that the psalmist had these things in mind. He was writing far beyond what he knew when he wrote these things. I think even this phrase here, I don't know if I brought this out last time, where it talks about being anointed with the oil of joy above thy fellows. See, Christ had a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Believers, Christians, have a measure of the Spirit, but no one has been anointed with the oil of joy the way Christ was and the way the king in this uh, psalm is. So those are just a few thoughts from uh, the past, uh, the past message. Um, this joy, when we think of Christ, you know, we think of him as being sometimes as a man of sorrows. But he also uh, had joy like no one else has ever had. Uh, he was at, at the same time the saddest of all men and the gladdest of all men. It says... In Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And the joy that this king has will be most apparent at the event that we're talking about tonight the wedding supper, the wedding uh, time. So, uh, what I'd like to do. Is describe that scene because I think that's really what the the rest of this psalm, um, beginning at verse eight, beginning at verse eight and on down, is a, basically a description of this great marriage event, the wedding of the king and his bride. I think that's really what, in symbolic form. Uh, the rest of this psalm has to do with. <clears throat> so I'd like to describe this to you. And, I mean, in some ways, we're just using our va- imagination. And we can't really imagine how great this event will be. This is beyond uh, anything I could begin to describe. But it's, it is a wedding... Uh, that uh, far exceeds anything that could ever take place on Earth. Uh, anything that's, i mean that again—we think of this. If you remember all the ceremony and pomp and everything that went on at a, this royal wedding that took place—I don't know how many years ago it was now—so oh, so much splendor and majesty associated that. Well, that—that that was just—that's nothing compared to what this event will be like this is the royal wedding of eternity so let me just try to paint a little picture here and it'll be very imperfect but we'll, we'll give it a try here's the bridegroom we've already talked about him quite a bit the first part of the psalm has to do with this king who is really the king of kings He's fairer, that is, more beautiful than all the sons of men. Grace poured upon his lips. A mighty warrior, splendid and majestic, blessed and anointed by God. Throughout history he has fought a good fight for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness and he has done all that to secure for himself his bride he's conquered all his enemies now this this is the scene you see all the, the conquest is over it's all been taken care of now he's conquered all his enemies his kingdom is secure he reigns in peace and power he's victor over all that's the king No problem with, nothing's going to upset this wedding. All that, everything's been taken care of, you see. Every battle this king has fought, every enemy he has laid low, every act of grace and mercy he has provided has been done for his bride. He He was doing all this so that he could have this wedding, you see. All that's transpired in the history of the world was done. So that this wedding could take place. It all has been meant for this moment, and now he's being joined by his beautiful bride. For this joyous event, we're told in Hebrews, he endured the cross, despising the shame. For the joy of this event, So here he stands, triumphant, in the midst of what the Bible calls the ivory palaces. That's a description of heaven in some sense. It's the place he's prepared for the bride, you see. It's nice to have some music at a wedding. Well, there's some here. Out of the ivory palaces, stringed instruments have made thee glad. Beautiful music, melodies in the background. And we I don't know, you know, I didn't think much about this when I got married, but it's this groom really smells good. <laughs> All thy garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. The sweet fragrance of his garments fill the whole place. And his pure and radiant bride is brought to him. So now we need to think a little about the bride and i have to say that not everything in this latter portion of the psalm do i understand or uh can be applied directly to the bride of christ the church but i think there's some broad details here that certainly do apply and we don't want to miss those just because we can't uh can't understand every aspect of what's presented here there are some wonderful truths revealed here and I, I just say it this way for our purposes in gleaning some of these truths this evening <clears throat> um, I'm going to take the queen and the daughter and the king's daughters and the virgins all as symbolic of the church now that may not be exactly correct uh, some of these may just be thought of as in the psalm anyway as attendance to the bride uh, and this it almost sounds like in the psalm here that this this king has more than one bride, or more than uh, married to more than one uh, bride. But that that, uh, like I say, you can't fit every detail in, so I'm, I'm just taking each each of those as symbolic of the church. And uh, even the idea of calling this one a daughter, you know, in some sense. Christians are the children of Christ. We're his little ones. And in Hebrews, uh, Christ says, Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So it's it's proper to think of us as his children. Of course, in another sense, and in a much clearer uh, aspect here in the psalm, Christians are the bride of Christ. So when we think of an earthly um, wedding, Usually the bride is presented to the bridegroom by someone, father, a relative, a friend, someone that was responsible for their upbringing, their care, their education. But this is a different situation here, and certainly it's different in this uh, marriage of the Lamb, because Christ gives himself. The bride. Who gives the bride away? Well, Christ gives the bride to himself. Uh, He presents his bride to himself. Why is that? Because the whole of our salvation is found in him. You see, uh, there's no other way it could be. He's the source. Christ is the source of the church. (coughs) We're taken out of his side. He's the savior of the church. He gave himself for her. He's the sustainer and the sanctifier of the church. He cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. In fact, he's done everything for us from the beginning to the end in terms of our salvation and bringing us to himself. Um, I'll just read it out of Ephesians. I know you know it, but it's, it's good to fit in right here. Uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word and that he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless that he might present to himself the church. So this, this is a unique wedding. Uh, one poet put it this way, from him, for him made. It was from him, the bride came from him, and it was for him made. So I do think that these verses can be applied um, to the wedding of Christ and the church even though some of the details may not fit exactly. What I'd like to do then is just try to point out some of the things that I think we should learn concerning the church, that is, the Bride of Christ, from this section. First of all, the Bride is characterized by an all-surrendering love for the Bridegroom the bride is characterized by an all surrendering love for the bridegroom you see that in the latter part of verse 10 forget your people and your father's house leave that the bride is is one who has left the old way of life behind now it's through the work of the bridegroom that that happened but it but she is characterized by this thing of leaving that old life of self and selfishness and sin behind, forget your people and your father's house. Uh, the former affections and attractions are gladly given up so that she could marry this one, and not reluctantly, you know,, oh, I, you know, I have to leave this behind so I can get this. That wasn't the attitude of the bride; it never was the attitude of the bride but it's a joyful abandonment of all for the love of Christ Paul put it this way he's just one part of this bride but he's a good example of it counting all things as loss for the sake of Christ left that all behind for the love of this this one so that's the first thing the bride is characterized by an all surrendering love To the bridegroom. The second thing. We see the honor. And the influence of the bride. The honor and influence of the bride. Now we know that. The bridegroom is king. Uh, This wasn't a marriage of of equals. You know. Even even if you think of an earthly. uh, Situation. Where a, a king of a realm decides to marry some commoner, so-called. That that person, that bride, uh, has a dual relationship to this new person. One, she's his subject. Two, she's his bride. Well, uh, how much more so in this situation we're talking about here. Uh, He's the sovereign and we are the subjects, the the church is. We owe everything to Him, and our desire is to honor and revere Him. You see that in uh, the latter part of verse 11. Because He is your Lord, bow down to Him. See, this is the King. This is the King you're marrying. Because He is the Lord, bow down to Him. But He places us in the position... Of honor. Um, Verse 9 King's daughters are among thy noble ladies. At thy right hand stands the queen. At thy right hand stands the queen in the gold of Ophir. In other words, even though we're marrying the king, he puts us at his right hand. It's a position of honor. Standing by his side place of love and honor and power. It's an incredibly privileged position. In other words the point is we see the honor and influence that the bride is given here because of marrying the king. Uh, we shall be glorified, it said in the scriptures be glorified with him joint heirs with Christ we shall reign with him And he says, he who overcomes will be granted, it will be granted to him to sit down with me on my throne. The honor accorded this queen, this bride of the king. Third, we see the bride has a beauty that delights the king, a beauty that delights the king. Right after this verse we read a little bit ago forget your people and your father's house then the king will desire your beauty the bride has a beauty that delights the king what is that beauty well it it, it it's in the previous verse forget your people and your father's house that has to do our beauty is our surrender our beauty is our surrender, our giving of ourselves to Him. That's, that's the beauty that He sees in His bride. Now that has to do with faith. It has to do with casting yourself upon Him, trusting Him, believing Him, putting your life in His hands. This is what He desires for us. Give me thy heart. That's when you do that. That is beautiful to the king. Forget your people in your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty. So, the bride has a beauty that delights the king. And then, number four, note the beautiful adornment of the bride. She is clothed with the best of the best. That is this gold of Ophir. Uh, Apparently that was some of the gold that was recognized as the the purest, the best gold that could be obtained at that time. The purest known. And I think surely this has to do partly anyway with the imputed righteousness that Christ gives us. Uh, Here's a, this isn't the way we do it here on earth, but uh, in this situation, the groom provided the wedding garment. And it was beautiful. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Speaking of the Imputed righteousness of Christ. Mid flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. Clothed in the garments of salvation, wrapped in the robes of righteousness. That's the imputed righteousness. But there is an imparted righteousness that he gives also. That's in verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. I think that's speaking, part of that at least, is speaking of that imparted righteousness that Christ gives us. That begins when we're converted here on earth, but it's not finished until this wedding, this time when Christ comes again for for his people then she will be purified and renewed in the inner person, the inner man, uh, totally conformed to the image of Christ. So that imparted righteousness. Um, In Revelation, we have this verse, The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So God God begins a process when we're, you might say, when we're betrothed to him here on earth. That's completed when this marriage takes place. Totally renewed within, totally pure and perfect in the inner person you see it, it it says that he will present to himself a church glorious having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless that's the way we're going to be in that day totally inwardly not one wrong thought it's you know we can't conceive of it Well, we won't be looking at our garments, even though they're beautiful. As the psalm says, the bride eyes, not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I mean, we will, we will shine because of this, the robes and the righteousness of Christ absolutely glowing with the imparted and imputed righteousness of Christ, but we won't be looking at that anyway. We'll be looking at Christ, the bridegroom. And then lastly, think of the joy of this wedding day. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's what we'll be doing, the joy. But it won't just be us. There will be joy on His part also. Uh... the bride brought to the bridegroom with gladness and entering into his palace with rejoicing. Even the most joyous of earthly weddings will seem like nothing compared to this day. We're told, Peter tells us, we will rejoice with exaltation. And Jude says, we will stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great Joy. So, this, there's no event, nothing that will compare with this wedding in relationship to the joy that will be experienced. Not just on the church's part, but on Christ's part. Now, this is the thing that it really is hard to understand. And uh, we just, we have, um, I think, problem conceiving of this but he will exalt over you with joy we're told he he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy Zephaniah let me just read it to you here the Lord your God is in your midst a victorious warrior there's that warrior image he will exalt over you with joy he will be quiet in his love now that can be translated he will renew you in his love. He will rejoice over you. With shouts of joy. So. A picture. Of. This. Wedding. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So. Your God will rejoice over you. We just can't. Conceive of this. But. It's because. Of what he's done. In us. It's not because of anything. In us. Innately. It's because of what he has done for us. That he's. Able to rejoice, in in us and in the, in what's taking place here. Um, this uh, German poet Tier Stegen, in this song we sing sometimes, he and I, in that bright glory, one deep joy shall share. Mine to be forever with him, his that I am there. One joy, his and mine. Mine, that I'm forever with him. His, that I'm there. Well, this is what the Lord had in mind when he came to earth and lived and died and rose again. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. May God help us to realize something of what is yet in the future for us as God's people. I wanted to close here by just reading a a little bit from Lloyd-Jones. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb when he presents the bride to himself. He quotes Ephesians here that he might present her to himself a glorious church not, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish. Then he says looking into her eyes she looking into his eyes. That was our blessed Lord's object when he came to earth and lived and died and rose again. That is his object for us. He died for us that we might come to to that. He He has separated us, that we might come to that. He has cleansed us, cleansed us, that we might come to that. He nourishes us, that we might come to that. He cherishes us, that we might come to that. He's coming to this great wedding, that we've described here. May God give us grace, to realize the privilege, of being a member, of the Church of Christ. May we also be given grace and strength and understanding, so as to realize something of that glory which awaits us. That we shall, that we shall set our affections not on things of the earth, but on things above. Well, this uh, psalm just paints a little picture of the reality of that event. But uh, it is worth meditating on. And I hope that maybe these few times that we've looked at this will at least be an introduction to you to consider this uh, as a picture, this whole psalm as a picture of Christ and the church.
2: 41 of the white i thinking, again, as Dick went through this, what a great promise this is in verses 10 and 11. Now, for all who will seek the Lord, he says, forget, listen, listen, oh daughter, give attention, incline your ear, forget your people and your father's house. And this is a promise, the king will desire your beauty. And uh, it's the same thing there as in Second Corinthians where he says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. It's a promise. I will receive you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. So uh, it's a great encouragement to anybody who would just cut loose the ties with the past and just cast themselves upon the Lord. We have the promise that He will receive us. And I was just impressed again how many times down through here. Even it's hard to imagine how this could even apply to an earthly king's wedding, although I I believe it does, like Dick said. But there's so much more in here every time that you, a lot of these things you can't hardly see how they could ever be said about anyone but Christ. But the just how many of these statements that he pointed out down through here, verse two, thou art fairer than the sons of men. It's like it just fits so perfectly with uh, only with Christ. And grace is poured out upon thy lips. I mean, even if you thought of Solomon or whoever, who is it that has grace poured out upon their lips? And of course, uh, uh, just uh, verse 6, there's no way this could apply to anyone but Christ. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And think of a king that loves righteousness and hates wickedness and is anointed with this oil of joy beyond anybody else in the whole world. It's another one of those uh, extreme statements that's made about him. Because he's your Lord, bow down to him. Who does that fit? I mean, in that way. Um, And then to even talk about the bride as being all-glorious within I mean, think of the language of the Old Testament. I mean, I can see how, you know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, there'd be talk about a a bride that had beauty on the outside, but to talk about her being all glorious on the inside, I just, you, it's amazing to to see that. So, so many things like that here, and in these last verses where he says, "I'll cause thy name to be remembered in all generations, and the peoples will give thee thanks forever." And ever. Uh, Amazing. Uh, Amazing things in this psalm. Didn't you say that, Dick, that it was the most quoted passage of anywhere in the Old Testament? Uh, In the New? Or is it? Was was it this passage here that was? um, Thy throne, O God, and... uh, or is it the one the Lord said to my Lord? Said I think that that was the one. That's the most quoted. But this one is certainly quoted. Well, um, praise the Lord. Well, I, I wanted to make one more announcement, and that is that we will have the.